0: Good evening. Has something ever happened to you guys that has radically changed your plans? I racked my brain uh, for an example of something like this, but I really struggled to think of anything. It just made me sick. I couldn't unmask the topical example that I was looking for. My mind just completely shut down. And then when I thought it would reopen, everything just shut down again. Unfortunately, I ran out of time to find a cure for the mental virus that disrupted my search for an introduction. I can only hope that you guys can think of something for yourselves. But alas, I must carry on. So please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4, verse 14. If you are using the Pew Bibles in front of you, you can find the passage on page 1013. The verse that we are specifically focusing on tonight is verse 14 but I'd like to read verses 13 and 15 with you all as well. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Tonight's sermon, Lord willing, will discuss two topics, temporariness and permanence. If you're the kind of person that likes to outline, those two headings are going to be your best bet. We will look first at temporariness. So let's reread verses 13 and 14 again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Here, James is listing a few things that are temporary in nature. Travel plans, business decisions, even the next day. It is a non-exhaustive list to be sure, but it covers a sufficiently broad range of human activities to get James's point across. Every one of our ventures has no certainty of coming to pass. Just personally, in the last month, I can think of things in my life that have been upended despite my best laid plans. Good plans, too. Not just selfish, uncaring plans, though to be sure, some of those have been messed up as well. For example, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were supposed to be in Southern California for a family reunion. We were going to visit with former members of uh, this church, Jason and Becky Ching, after the reunion. Good things. Good plans. Didn't happen. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Or how about the current economic volatility? The wild swings in the stock market have impacted many people's finances. Perhaps the roiling job market has harmed you unexpectedly. Maybe due to this economic pain, you can no longer get that shiny new truck you were looking at. Or worse, maybe you don't know how you can provide for your family. Maybe selfish, maybe good plans, gone yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Even our next day plans can be so easily upset. Multiple times, I've bought baseball tickets for the, a game the very next day, only to have it rain out. Once I even check the weather first, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. These are just a few examples to show you how our best laid plans are all too often fleeting fancies that we are actually powerless to implement. I'll confess, I feel pretty self-sufficient most days. God has blessed me with a good job, an amazing wife, and an awesome church family. I have the resources to do all that I need to be able to do and most of what I want to do. And I don't really need to worry about it. And yet, what do I do? Even as I was in the process of writing this very sermon, I fell into the sin of being anxious about my life. And even when I'm not anxious about my life, All too often I don't thank God for the blessings that he's given me and of which I have no control over. I take them for granted. I think I can get it done in my own strength. I hope that I'm alone in this, but I have a sneaking suspicion that if we are honest with ourselves, we all have a tendency to rely on our own strength and our own plans instead of trusting in God and recognizing his sovereignty over our lives. But these everyday activities that James lists in verse 13 are really just subcategories for his main point in verse 14. That life on earth itself is temporary. This isn't the first time that James has brought up the fleeting nature of life on earth either. In James 1 verses 9 and 11, he writes, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, I may not have a yard, but I've seen enough of them to know how quickly that green grass's life can fade away this time of year. Our life is like a mist or a withering, browning, dying lawn in the summer heat. Unstable, short-lived, temporary. As if that wouldn't be an ominous enough warning about the temporary nature of our lives, the Bible speaks more about this topic elsewhere as well. As we heard earlier this morning in Psalm 39, David knew how tenuous our existence is. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Solomon, whom God blessed with an abundance of wisdom, writes in Proverbs 27, verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Or what about the example of righteous Job? No, Job's life wasn't snuffed out, but I don't think anyone ever plans about losing it all. And I mean truly losing it all. Job, he did have it all. He had extreme wealth, he had a large, happy family, and he had righteousness before God. There's not much more that you can ask for here on earth. But in one day, one day, Job loses almost all of that. Three times in Job chapter one, the phrase, and while he was yet speaking, is used to describe the very next servant telling Job what has been taken away from him. Four calamities, one day. All his earthly goods, family, save his wife, gone. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. A little while later, righteous Job, who still refused to curse God, but rather blessed him even after those calamities. Also, Job loses his health. At this point, even his wife tells him to curse God and die, yet still Job refuses. His friends, supposedly there to comfort him, wrongfully accuse him of sin. No family, no wealth, The support of his friends, gone. I don't think Job saw that coming in his life's five-year plan. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. While he was on earth, Jesus also spoke about the fragile and temporary nature of our life. In Luke 12, Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. The rich fool lays up treasure for himself on earth and makes plans to increase his wealth and stature even further. But God has other plans. Instead, the rich fool dies that very night after making his plans, and he must give an account of his life to God. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know about you, but all this kind of makes me retrospective and more than a little uneasy. If all of our efforts, all of our strivings, if they're all so fleeting, what anchor do we have? Where is our permanence? Well, fortunately for us, James doesn't leave us in a Kierkegaardian existential crisis. Let's read verses 14 and 15 of James chapter 4 and see what James has to say. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. That is the antidote to the crisis of our fleeting and uncertain lives. We must answer the charge of you do not know what tomorrow will bring with if the Lord wills. In God we find our permanence. Rightly does the Baptist Catechism of 1813 include unchangeable amongst the attributes of God. Job knew this. That is how in the midst of his trials he was able to say, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. David knew this as well. He writes in Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God is immutably unchanging. He controls the waves and the wind. He controls disease and demons. He controls death and life all things were created by him and for him. Now if it sounds like I slipped from talking about God to Jesus there, well, I didn't slip. Let me assure you I intentionally jumped right in. God the Son is no less unchanging than God the Father, and it is through God the Son that we can be reconciled to God the Father and have a hope of permanence. Humanity lost that perfect permanence of God's presence in God's paradise when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. Like our Father, we have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. But the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, redeems us through his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. God the Son makes it possible to be reconciled with the Father. And when we are reconciled with God, we can confidently say, if the Lord wills, because we know the one who is sovereign over all. We can trust in his promises towards us. We can trust His goodness towards His people. But what about you who aren't reconciled with God? Can you confidently say if the Lord wills? You cannot, because although it is still true, you have no relationship with God. You are still in rebellion towards Him. Before you can have any true sense of permanence in this world, you must first lay aside your rebellion, confess your sins to God. Call on the name of Jesus to save you from your sins. Place your faith in him and him only. Then and only then can you confidently say if the Lord wills. Only then will you have someone permanent to trust in. Christian, before we close, two brief points of practical application. One, include God in your plans. Two, don't be anxious. These aren't complicated or profound ideas, but all too often, they are ideas that we effortlessly set aside. On the first point, it is easy to forget God and our plans for our everyday lives, but this is a grave error. James 4.16 calls this arrogance and evil. We can and should make plans. It is isn't feasible not to, but our plans must be made remembering God's will. That's what Solomon means when he writes in Proverbs 16, verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Let us prioritize what God prioritizes. Let us align our plans with his plans. And let us accept God's sovereign providence that even when we attempt to do all of that in his wisdom, he still may disrupt our plans. But even then, no matter what happens on earth, we still have a hope of permanence with God in heaven. As for the second point, stop worrying. Stop being anxious about the future. If we truly believe that our God is sovereign and that he is our rock and our salvation, which he is, then it is more than a little hypocritical to be anxious about our earthly problems. Look back at a passage we discussed earlier tonight, Luke 12. In the very next verse, after the parable of the rich fool, Jesus tells his disciples not to be anxious about their food, clothes, body, or even life. On first glance, that seems kind of like an odd thing to say after a parable about somebody who suddenly dies. Right? Like, if I die suddenly, shouldn't I be worried about things like my life? But Jesus answers our concerns by showing us God's sovereignty. Jesus tells us that God takes care of nature... And how much more precious are we, his children? God's sovereign, loving care for his children is why we can stop worrying. And when we stop worrying about our life, we can start living our life for Christ. This doesn't mean we won't have any troubles. Let's not forget about righteous Job after all. But it does mean that we have a comfort and a help in our times of distress. So no matter what trial or pandemic comes our way, Our God will care for us on this earth, and he will bring us safely home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that in an ever-changing world, you are unchangeable. We praise you that in you, we have our rock and our salvation, and that you will ensure that your children dwell with you permanently. We confess that too often we take this for granted, or worse, purposely forget about you in our decision-making. We recognize and confess this as sin. We often worry and are anxious about our lives instead of trusting in your good provision. Forgive us this. Heal our hearts. Make us ever more reliant on you. Help us to find our permanence in you, O Lord, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.